Good morning, everyone. We are one week away from Christmas. It is great to see you here. And I'm leading today's service. It is a joy to be in the Christmas season as we await Christmas Day, the great celebration of our Saviour coming to be with us. Let's stand and we're going to sing, As With Gladness, Men of Old. And we've got two new singers with us, Trish and John. I take it that's not a vote about our older singers. <laughs> but it's the reality of COVID has struck Martin and uh, Margaret. If you're watching online, Martin and Margaret, we're very sad you can't be here. But uh, we have got some replacements to fill your very able and loved shoes. So let's stand and sing.
Please be seated. There we go. Well, good morning and welcome to today's service. Uh, it's worth saying Andrew Graham, who normally leads would have loved to have been here, but he's still feeling the effects post-COVID and he is home resting. Rhonda, his dear wife, is here. She's going to lead us in prayers. Uh, so do be praying for Andrew that he can make a full recovery. Uh, it's been a lot slower than what he anticipated. Uh, it's also worth saying that Margaret and Martin, who normally lead the singing, are also home with COVID, so it is having its effect. Diana Aitken was going to be here for an interview. She's uh, also home with COVID and uh, numbers of others that I know of. Anyway, today's the conclusion of the Sermon on the Mount. It's been a great journey going through probably the most succinct but powerful part of Jesus' teaching in all of the Gospels. And it really is a great uh, piece of uh, teaching to go through. And today is really the final call to put into practice what we've learnt through the series. Uh, we're going to be hearing from Christmas Stew, the third edition of his Christmas News. We look forward to that each week. I always wonder, how will he top last week anyway? We'll see what happens. And uh, Di was going to be here to introduce a new ministry, which I'll be doing, uh, which is exciting in terms of in the care, in the community space going forward, starting in February. But we're also going to be turning to God in prayer at this point in the service to seek him, to pray for ourselves as well as confess our sins. So let's start by praying this prayer of preparation that is on the screen in front of us. And if you're at home watching online, a warm welcome to you. Please do pray from the place you're viewing from. Let's pray. Almighty God, to whom all hearts are open, all desires known, and from whom no secrets are hidden, cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit, that we may perfectly love you and worthily magnify your holy name through Christ our Lord. Amen. I'll just give us a moment to be quiet before we confess our sins. If there's anything that uh, you need to pray, I'd encourage you to do that now. Together, Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, we have gone our own way, not loving you as we ought, nor loving our neighbour as ourselves. We have sinned against you in thought, word and deed, and in what we have failed to do. We deserve your condemnation. Father, forgive us, help us to love you and our neighbour, and to live for your honour and glory. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Well, let's read together this wonderful psalm that tells us so much about God's compassion and a great psalm excerpt to read after confessing our sins. Together, praise the Lord, O my soul, all my inmost being, praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always accuse nor will he harbour his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love to those who fear him. 
As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows how we are formed. He remembers that we are dust. The Lord has established his throne in heaven and his kingdom rules over all. Praise the Lord, all his works everywhere in his dominion. Praise the Lord, my soul. Amen. I should have also mentioned Barbara, who also sings, is also home with COVID. Uh, Chris has recovered, but uh, our thoughts and prayers also for Barbara. We're now going to stop and hear the church news, in particular, third edition of Christmas Stew. Only one more week till Christmas, so things are really heating up here at St. Matt's as we get ready for one of our biggest days of the year. Now, that means it's Christmas Stew and Christmas Stevie back again to give you the final notice of what's happening at St. Matt's this Christmas. Now, hopefully by now you know what's going on on Christmas Eve, but if not, here's a last reminder. On Christmas Eve, we have two types of services across five time slots. Earlier in the afternoon at 3 and 4.30 p.m., we have our family service. We're gonna have some big things on stage to help us figure out why Christmas is the biggest news for all of us. Now, if you have Christmas Stevie-sized people, bring them along to this service. It'll be great as we, yeah, as we sing some songs together, as we learn about the big meaning of Christmas. Now, at 7, 9, and 11 p.m., we have evening carols. We'll hear about why the angels told the shepherds not to be afraid. And of course, sing along to plenty of carols with Dave and the band. Now, since we're anticipating a return to some big numbers that may max out the building this year, there's a bit of a system that might be helpful for you to know. Each service will have a line that starts from the Corso doors of the church, and there's a limited number of people that can fit in at each time slot. Once the church has reached capacity, those still in the line will get a wristband to get them into the next service, or they can head straight into the overflow room in the Darley Smith building at the 4.30 and 9 p.m. services, which will both be live streamed. Now, no matter which service you're planning on attending, the best way to make sure that you get in is to get here on time. Now, the car park in the public school will not be available on Christmas Eve or Christmas Day, so it's worth factoring that into your plans. 
Now, on Christmas Day, there are a couple of other opportunities to gather together to kick off the holiday. We'll have our traditional service at 8am with communion or our contemporary service at 10am. Neither of these services will be live streamed, so make sure you come down to church if you'd like to join in. Looking beyond Christmas, if you're able to do that at the moment, our first service for 2023 will be on New Year's Day. There will only be one combined service that day at 10am. From the 8th of January, we'll be back to our usual service times each Sunday. I'm looking forward to seeing you this coming weekend at one of our Christmas services as we share in the joy of our Saviour being born in such lowly circumstances to show us His amazing grace and bring us into glorious life. Merry Christmas from me and Christmas Stevie, and we'll see you soon. Well, he's done it again, hasn't he? Very creative, as you. Uh, I'm going to transition. We've got a new ministry starting next year in February. And Anglicare approached us about a potential partnership with what's called the Mobile Community Pantry. And if I can just explain it, it's a food van stocked with typically non-perishable goods, all of very good quality. And they will come and park literally just outside here uh, in the breezeway between Anita's uh, and Darley Smith building in the church. And I think it's for $12, you can fill up your bag uh, with food. And it's a ministry designed to help people who particularly are finding it very tough in terms of just uh, putting basic staple food onto the plate each week. And we're entering a partnership with Anglicare and I'm gonna put a video on very shortly, but it's worth saying that um, one of the things we discovered during COVID was through the ministry of the soup kitchen, uh, we ran a van out here with takeaway meals uh, to keep that service being provided. And numbers of the soup kitchen people were accessing that, but we also discovered there was a large group of people that we didn't know uh, from a slightly different socioeconomic group who were struggling, who would not normally come into the soup kitchen, but were happy to take um, some takeaway food home to their family. And it's that group of people we're trying to target with this ministry. Soup Kitchen will still run on Monday nights, uh, 6 o'clock. This is going to be running in the afternoons from 3.30 through to about 5 o'clock. And it's a great initiative. Uh, it also provides great opportunities to connect with people who are in need and show them God's love, as well as begin conversations. And this is a ministry that Anglicare are running in numbers of places around Sydney, uh, and it's had great impact both, if I can say, in bringing care, but also in introducing people to the Christian faith. Let's have a look at the video of what it looks like. I'm not sure what I would have done if I hadn't come across the mobile community pantry when I did. The fear of not being able to afford the most basic things like food for my family was very difficult. If you find yourself in a similar place, then look up Anglicare Mobile Community Pantry and get access to affordable, low-cost groceries. It's really simple. Just find a location close to where you live. Mobile pantries are hosted at churches all across Greater Sydney and are easy to get to, even if you don't have a car. Each pantry is run by volunteers. They will greet you with a smile and kindly show you what to do, step by step, to get the food you need. Make a contribution 
you can pay by cash or FBOS, and you'll receive a bag which you can fill with food from the pantry van. Fill your bag with groceries. You won't believe how much you can get from what you give. It feels normal, like shopping at the supermarket, making choices that suit your family. Some sites also offer a fresh food van where you can fill a bag with seasonal fruit and veggies. Mobile Community Pantry is much more than just a place I go to for food. The best part of my visits are the people I meet. We have a cuppa, share morning tea and chat together. So find your nearest mobile pantry by scanning the QR code on your screen or visit Anglicare online. The ministry kicks off, I think it's the first week in February. And what we are wanting to do is recruit people who would like to be involved in that. Uh, there'll be some training running towards the end of January. And the time commitment is to be down here, I think for about three hours, uh, two or three hours on a Monday afternoon. And really it's about welcoming people and talking to them and showing them God's love as they make their choices in terms of food. So if you have an interest in being involved in that, there's a QR code there which you can scan. Uh, I'm just going to give us a number of minutes, uh, just 30 seconds to do that. Um, after the service, I will also be around, and if you'd like to come and see me, you're very welcome to. Um, I've got some pamphlets for that. Um, so I'm just going to give 30 seconds now. If you want to scan a QR code or you can come and see me afterwards, I, they are the two options. I can't see anyone getting a phone. Oh, there I do, get one. So I'll let that person scan. And if you uh, do that, you'll connect into our database and a message will go through to Diana and she'll be in touch with you. And Diana Aitken, who runs the soup kitchen, uh, is going to be running this on Monday afternoons. I'm going to transition to a different announcement. Um, it's a significant one relating to staffing and it's a sad one. Um, and I've known that I would have to make this at some point. So after eight and a half years of what I can only say has been outstanding, wonderful, um, very fruitful ministry, uh, I'm very sad but excited for him to announce that Scott Petty's going to be leaving. Boo. <laughs> we announced it at the staff and someone threw some fruit at him. <laughs> they just said, you are not allowed to leave. So no fruit throwing, please, today. Let me give you some of the details. Um, Scott, when he came here, was unordained and he got uh, deaconed early on and then presbyted a number of years ago. And as soon as he was presbyted, I knew that uh, in the local language he was on the market. And he has accepted the Archbishop's invitation to become the new senior minister at St Mark's at Northbridge. So he's out of the immediate district, but not too far away. And um, he will finish up on Sunday the 5th of March prior to taking some well-earned long service leave. I think he's got two months and he'll commence there at the beginning of May as their new senior minister. We will, of course, update you. Uh, it's worth saying he's been inc an incredible minister of the gospel here at St Matthews uh, and we're all indebted to him for his hard work, uh, love, care, concern, teaching. Uh, and I'm sure we'll also miss his great sense of humour um, I'll obviously have much more to say when we formally farewell him next year, which will be uh, 
at the beginning of March. He finishes on Sunday the 5th. But for now, I just want to say, Scott, congratulations and thank you. It's been an enormous blessing and privilege to have worked alongside you for the past eight and a half years. And uh, I, probably more than most, have seen the amount of work he's done for the parish, and it's been uh, prodigious. And he will leave an enormous hole here. Uh, but we'll be praying for you and Carolyn and the boys as you look to finish up in just two and a half months' time and uh, have some well-earned long service leave before you start. So on that note, uh, I say thank you, and we're now going to have some prayers. And Scott is preaching today, so fittingly. Come on up, Rhonda. She's going to lead us in prayer. Let's pray. Father, thank you for Scott and Carolyn, for everything that they've offered at church here, for the way they've shown their light, their light for you. We do pray for their ministry ahead, that they will continue to grow in you, to shine their light for you, and be uh, faithful ministers of the gospel. We thank you for your love and mercy. Help us to be still before you as we search our hearts and bring our concerns to you. Lord, as we prepare to celebrate the birth of our Lord Jesus, we thank you that you sent your son to earth to live as a lowly man so that we might know you, so that we might be rescued and that we might know the hope of heaven. Father, we pray for the countries where, we have, where they are not free to worship, and they are persecuted because of their faith in your son. Lord, strengthen them in the face of suffering. Enable them to stand and to stand united. And may your spirit refresh them, teach them and grow them in their darkest, dark times. Father, we pray for our country. Pray, merciful Father, we pray this week for the families and friends of the policemen and the woman who were killed and injured this week in the line of duty. Comfort the families. Lord, may the community gather around them. May Christians speak into their lives and bring healing to the grieving partners, children, parents, siblings and friends in, at a time that feels like there is no, there's no answers. We pray for a full recovery of those who are injured and wise counsel for those who are involved. Father, we thank you today for the life of Dorothy Hales. We pray for her family as they grieve the loss of, loss of Dorothy. We pray that they'll find comfort in you and in the hope that she holds, knowing that she is now with you. And Father, we thank you for our teachers and auxiliary staff in the schools across our state. In what's been a tough year with COVID once again, we thank you for their dedication and care for our students. We pray that staff, students and families may have time to relax and enjoy together this summer. We pray, we pray for our government as they consider um, reshaping the lives of, and work of teachers that they'll be wise 
and, and realistic in what they do. We pray for safety and joyfulness in the weeks to come for the, those teachers, that they'll be fully refreshed before returning to school and studies next year. Father, we pray for the thousands of households in this region who have received invitations to attend a church service this Christmas. May many join us to hear the message of your love and mercy in Christ. Many who don't know you come to understand you for the first time, that they might know what coming to Jesus means, that they might know your love, your rescue that comes through your Son. We pray that your love might shine throughout all of Sydney this year as the message of Christmas resounds and the message of Christmas might be linked to the message of salvation. We also pray that you will bring your honour and glory in our workplaces and homes as we gather with family and friends this week and every week. And Father, thank you for the soup kitchen. Thank you for the, the new ministry of the pantry starting up. I pray that we might get volunteers to help with that. We pray that this might be another opportunity for us to be reaching into a community that doesn't know you with your love and mercy. Thank you that you hear our prayers. Amen. We are going to sing, but um, Rhonda reminded me of an announcement. Dorothy Hales, who was a member here for many years, but also been very involved with KYB, um, sadly passed away this week. And the funeral is on this Thursday at 1pm here at St Matthews for those who'd like to attend. We're now going to stand and sing. Thank you, John and Trish.
Good morning. Today's reading is taken from Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 to 29, and may be found on page 971 in your church Bibles. Page 971. Enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate, wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate, and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit you will recognise them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons, and in your name perform many miracles. Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against the house. Yet it did not fall, because it had its foundations on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching, because he taught as one who had authority, and not as their teachers of the law. This is the word of... Sorry. Well, good morning, everyone. <laughs> Thank you for not cheering at the news that I'm leaving, at least not audibly. That's very gracious of you. <laughs> I do love this church, and uh, it'll be very sad for me to leave, um, although it's the, I think it's the right time for, um, for us, and I think it's actually in the, just the life of our church a good time. We've navigated the biggest challenges, I think, are behind us, and uh, me leaving offers an opportunity for some new and younger blood to be injected into the team. And that is always an important thing. And of course, I'm looking forward to um, getting to know the people at Northbridge and loving them and serving them just as I've done 
with you. Let's pray and then we'll get underway on this uh, fantastic Sermon on the Mount. Heavenly Father, you are so good to us, so, so good to us, uh, in speaking to us through your word and in sending us your son. So let us listen to him and what he says to us today that we might build our lives upon his words. Amen. Amen. Well, it's not that uncommon to hear um, people say things like, it's not a black and white world or something to that effect. You know, life's just not black and white, perhaps. And what they usually mean is that things in life aren't as neat as black and white is neat or not simple enough to just separate into two options, black and white. Things aren't just that tidy. I think this is a real shame because I like neat and tidy. I like black and white. They're two of my favourite colours because they're neat and tidy. In fact, I wouldn't mind if my whole home looked like the Apple store, where everything was neat and tidy and most things were white, crisp, clean, beautiful, lovely. Or like a um, Kiki K stationery store. If you've ever been to one of those in the shops, Kiki K, if you know them, they're Swedish, which automatically means they're, they're beautiful and stylish and everything is neat and tidy and color coordinated. I've decided I would like to have a Kiki K life. I would like the Kiki K people to come and Kiki K my home so that it looked like that. But there's too many surfboards and bikes and assorted sporting um, equipment and musical equipment throughout the place. And so I just need some Kiki K style, um, mainly in my son's rooms. But <laughs> that's not going to happen, is it? The Kiki K people, they won't Kiki K my house because life's just not like that. It's not black and white, as people say. And I agree. Often it's not a black and white world, is it? There are usually shades of grey in all sorts of things. But when Jesus talks about following him, about being a disciple, a citizen of the kingdom of heaven, he says, you know, it is a black and white matter. According to Jesus, as he rounds out his imposing, statuesque Sermon on the Mount, there aren't shades of grey. In a world which insists that it's just not black and white, Jesus says, do you know, when it comes to following me, it actually is black and white. Our society says balance is the right way forward. Jesus says, no, my disciples need to be extreme, extremely humble, extremely gracious and determined and forgiving and self-effacing and so on, but extreme nonetheless. There are just two ways when it comes to following him, he says. And what an entirely fitting way to finish his Sermon on the Mount because the whole time Jesus has been describing his kingdom as an upside-down sort of kingdom that reverses the patterns of the kingdoms of the world and the kingdom ethics that he described in the Beatitudes at the beginning, you know, blessed are the poor in spirit and so on, and which he has continued to describe throughout the Sermon on the Mount, turn the other cheek, love your enemies, do not store up for yourself treasures in heaven. Those are just other worldly commands. There's the way of the world and the way of the kingdom. Of course, when it all boils down to it, there are just two ways. And really, we need to understand that and we need to get that right in our brains because Jesus is about to go full tilt about discipleship. He's about to say there's no shades of grey. He's about to say, you're either with me and you follow me and you get life or you don't. Just two options, just two paths. And that's the first thing we see. Let's have a look at verse 13 and 14 and read it again together. 
Wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. So he's talking about gates and roads, and he says there's just two paths, the broad one and a narrow gate that open up onto different roads, which in turn lead to different ultimate destinations. I don't know if you've ever had one of those uh, moments when you had to make a quick decision about which way to travel, which way to go, left or right, and maybe you weren't sure which one to take. When we um, lived overseas, we were once on a holiday in Austria, and we needed to get uh, from where we were in the west of Austria to the east. And we were burning down the autobahn at about 120 kilometers an hour, watching everyone overtake us. And then we had the option of going left to Brixen or right to Bozen. Brixen, Bozen. Both sound similar, both sound pretty good, but let's go to Bozen. That's a bad choice, actually, because Bozen is also known as Bolzano and is actually in Italy. And so we took a turn at 120 kilometers into the wrong country. And then we got eventually to Bolzano and we thought we should really turn around. Uh, and so we took another turn to get out of there, but it took us right into the town center that looks like that. And we found ourselves going further and further down the medieval, no cars allowed town center at the busiest time of day with all these vociferous Italians slapping on the windscreen and saying things that sounded like stupido, idioto, and the like. A different gate opens to a different road that leads to a different destination. Now, of course, Jesus is not talking about European highways in Matthew 7. He's talking about life paths and choices, and there's just two. One has a wide opening, a broad road with many travelers, it's the path of the world, the path of the crowds, also our, our society. I guess the path of most of our workplaces and community groups, maybe even the path of your home and the people who live there with you. It's just regular people going about their business, doing their own thing, not really interested in following Jesus or in being a part of his upside-down kingdom. It doesn't necessarily involve demon possession and Satan worship. And if a broad path of happy people just getting on with their business, albeit without concern for God, sounds quite benign or harmless to you, you just need to note that Jesus says it leads to destruction. Wide gate, which means it's easy to get through. Broad road, which means many are on it. But destruction or spiritual death is effectively where it ends. And there's just one other route, he says. You enter through a, a small gate. Do you remember in John chapter 10, Jesus calls himself the gate through which you find life. And you travel along a narrow road, but it leads to life. But of course, narrow means difficult, and it's confining rather than spacious. There is just not a lot of room. Don Carson says, there's no room for me to set my opinion against the Lord's, no room for me to set my goals at cross purposes to his, no room for me to form attachments which vie for the central place the Lord Jesus must have. It's not spacious, it's confining. And few people on it means that it can feel lonely and unpopular. 
Because you can't discover that road by appeal to majority opinion because the majority are on the wide path. And it can't be pursued if what we really want is to please the mass of humanity. But it does lead to life. And I guess that's the point of Jesus' little word picture. It's not really about the path as much as it is about the significance of where the path leads. The narrow, lonely, confining and difficult path is the road of radical discipleship. It's not the road of the crowds. It's the road on which the people who want to follow Jesus must travel. It is the road into the kingdom of heaven. And though it pans out into something that is eternal and splendid, for now, if you want to follow Jesus on that road, I reckon we're going to need to adjust our expectations so that we expect it to be difficult and lonely and hard and unpopular. And we need to lift our gaze when it gets difficult and lonely and hard and unpopular to remember, to remember it's the only path that leads to life. See, as it turns out, it's not the journey after all that really counts. Ultimately, the destination is the most important thing. And so some of us need to change our expectations so that we, we anticipate the difficulty and the loneliness of that journey. It will be difficult and it might feel lonely. And some of us need to lift our gaze so that when it gets difficult or if, it's, if you're finding it difficult this very moment, you remember despite the difficulty, this is the only way to life. And all of us need to recognise there is no third path. There is no shade of grey, there's no middle ground that somehow leads to life but it's not difficult or unpopular. And I reckon this is the great temptation of our age and probably every age to think there is a third way, a third path, a third gate, one that is wide and broad and easy to travel and yet which still leads to life. Isn't that what we think deep down? That you can travel an easy road through this life, reaping all the benefits of being a citizen of this world but still lead to an internal place in the kingdom of heaven. And yet, friends, Jesus could not be clearer. There are just two ways, two paths, only one of which leads to life. You know, in Matthew 8, verse 19, it's probably on the same page in your Bible there in front of you. Man comes up to Jesus and says, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus basically replies, I'm homeless, mate. <laughs> you still with me? Foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, the Son of Man has got no place to lay his head. So yeah, follow me. You know, black or white, narrow, wide, life or destruction. And by finishing the Sermon on the Mount in this way, he's asking us all the most pressing question. Are you in? Would you like to be? I mean, he's just, he's just so intense, isn't he? And uh, you can just imagine being there in the crowd. The atmosphere is electric. You can hear a pin drop, all those cliches. And you'd just be waiting for uh, a bit of a joke or an illustration or something to kind of lighten the mood, but it doesn't come. Because straight after Jesus talks about two paths, he says, you know, there's two kinds of Christian leaders too. Those whose teaching and lives measure up to Jesus and those who don't, who will be destroyed. I mean, metaphorically, there, verses 17 and 18, there are good trees, they bear good fruit, bad trees which bear bad fruit, but there's no third kind of tree that's good which bears bad fruit. In other words, don't follow a Christian leader if there's no evidence of gospel fruit in their lives. 
There's no signs or kinds of attitudes or behaviours that Jesus has been teaching repeatedly throughout this Sermon on the Mount. And then he says there's just two kinds of followers. Some who say, Lord, Lord, and might even do miraculous things in Jesus' name. But he doesn't know them. And he sends them away, presumably to hell. And then there are followers whom he does know. And Jesus is just making the point that you don't judge Christian leaders or believers by their giftedness, but by their obedience to him. And that really is the the essential characteristic of a true follower of Jesus. It's not loud professions. It's not spectacular spiritual experiences, but simple, wholehearted obedience. Someone said, the Father's will is not simply admired and discussed and praised and debated it is done it's to be done I want to thank you for giving me the privilege um, over the last eight and a half years of being able to look more closely at the scriptures so that I can bring them to us on Sundays and also in growth groups it's been personally very enriching for me and I've benefited from it immensely and even in this Sermon on the Mount I've found myself thinking that Jesus' words they're just so brilliant and beautiful he, he I don't know how he does it but he does he combines compassion with conviction but that is not the point and that is not nearly not even close to nearly enough his words are to be practiced the father's will is not to be admired or discussed it is to be done and so lastly Jesus reiterates this point that his disciples put his words into practice by talking about two kinds of builders who build two kinds of houses. Very familiar story, isn't it? Wise builder is like one who builds on rock, on solid ground. The foolish man is the one who built his house on the beach. And when the storms come and the streams rise, like we've seen in New South Wales and Victoria this year, and the winds blow, one survives and one crumbles. I reckon if you've ever been to one of those kind of homewaresy shops on the northern beaches, you would have seen um, one of these pictures of a lighthouse in a storm. Raise your hand if you've seen that picture before. Everyone has seen that picture, right? And a very visual image. There are all wind and there are all waves. You can't even see the ground, but the lighthouse house stands strong. And in some of these photos, like this one, you can, you can even see the lighthouse keeper on the dry side, just taking it all in. What a great picture of a house built on solid ground. And you contrast that to the houses at Collaroy. I'm really sorry if this is your house, man. <laughs> like PTSD. <laughs> built right on the edge of the beach. And the images of the backyards and the swimming pools getting eaten by the waves are equally arresting, aren't they? So Jesus paints the picture of the well-built shelter and the not-so-well-built shelter. And then he tells us what they represent. This wise man is the one who hears the words of Jesus and puts them into practice. The wise disciple who does that will withstand the trials of life and especially the final trial of God's judgment. The foolish person is the one who hears the words of Jesus but does not put them into practice. That person will not withstand trials in life and they will not withstand the final trial of God's judgment. So it's very similar to the whole two paths thing. You know, one option leads to life, one leads to destruction. 
And I think what's important for us to understand this morning is that both the wise person and the foolish person hear Jesus' words. Okay, so it's not hearing Jesus' words that's the point. Hearing doesn't make the difference. The point is what you do with them. The difference comes from obeying them. And of course, he's not talking about, a, about an obedience that's designed to earn merit points from God. He's talking about an obedience that just bows to Jesus' lordship in every area of life without reservation. The crowds hear Jesus' words, but disciples put them into practice. The crowds hear Jesus' words with their ears and remain fools because they only hear him. Disciples hear Jesus' words with their hearts and they build their lives upon them. They obey them and only they withstand the final judgment. What a strikingly simple picture Jesus paints. The thing that makes a difference is whether you put his words into practice because everyone hears his words. And the thing that distinguishes his disciples from the crowds is whether you build your life on Jesus by obeying his words. Well, they're familiar words, aren't they, and familiar pictures. And as we come to work out what this final slice of teaching from Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount means for us this morning, can you see that Jesus views these things as clearly black and white? Two roads, one leads to life, one leads to destruction. Two houses, one withstands trial, the other crumbles underneath it. And I think the great trick of the devil in this age and this area is not to convince you to take the wide road because you want destruction, but to deceive you into thinking that there is this third road that leads to life, but without the cost and the pain of discipleship. You see, I don't think the devil attempts us so much to completely ignore or resist Jesus' words, but just to kind of sideline them when we come to making decisions in our own lives. You know, you think Jesus says of his own words, make him your foundation. But we, we think, thank you so much, I'll keep them in mind. I mean, they're right there in the mix, along with a whole bunch of other ideas and worldly wisdom. And the truth is we don't really keep Jesus' words in mind. We just end up doing what the crowd does. Or we leave them in our mind and end up travelling on the broad road because it's easier and it's way less lonely. Throughout the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus urges us to adopt our kingdom calling and to, to adopt kingdom dreams. But it's true, I think, that we prefer Australian dreams or the Northern Beaches dream, which is just a, a pricier, tanned and toned version of the Australian dream. I mean, it's, it's the Australian dream at its most attractive, if you like. It's so appealing, isn't it? Jesus says, take your sins seriously. We think it's not that bad. Jesus says, don't store up treasures for yourselves, but we think he cannot be talking about our vast wealth. Jesus says, love your enemies, but we think he doesn't really mean that. Jesus says, don't worry about what you eat and drink and wear, and we spend the better part of our lives obsessed with these things. It's just so easy to be the same as the crowds which are headed for destruction, and yet bizarrely to think that that is okay. We deceive ourselves so quickly, don't we? I wonder if you realised when Jan read it out that Jesus finishes his Sermon on the Mount with four different references to judgment. 
have a look in your Bibles with me. Verse 13, the broad road leads to destruction. Verse 19, every tree that does not bear good fruit is thrown into the fire. Verse 23, I will tell them, away from me, you evildoers. Verse 27, the rain came down, the winds blew, and the house fell with a great crash. Four different pictures, four different threats of judgment. It's very sobering, isn't it? And I wonder if you feel that Jesus is being rather nasty. Is he taking a kind of twisted delight in rubbing it in? Well, that doesn't sound like him, does it? And so I wonder if part of his point in finishing so strongly, you know, with, with pressing demands for obedience and sober threats of judgment is to drive any of us who may, might take pride in our own moral performance right back to the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount where he says, blessed are the poor in spirit. In other words, he wants us to finish where he himself started with a basic, humble recognition that we do not and we cannot live up to the standards of God in our own self-righteousness and self-reliant strength. We need God's grace, not just to enter the kingdom of heaven, but to occupy it every single day. And I further wonder whether he finishes with those four threats of judgment um, because they're not so much definitive decisions, at least not yet, but he's really, he's really inviting. They're, they're entreaties to the crowd to come inside the kingdom, as if he's saying to everyone who's gathered, are you in? Would you like to be? You might remember, and I might get you to turn back to chapter 5, verse 1 and 2. When we started our thorough investigation of the Sermon on the Mount, we noticed a distinction in verses 1 and 2, chapter 5, between the crowds and the disciples. Uh, read them with me. Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down, and then his disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. You see that distinction? But now I want you to look very closely at what happens when Jesus finishes in verses 28 and 29 of chapter 7. The crowds are there and they're amazed at his teaching because he taught as one with authority now friends that might not be full-blown faith just yet and they may not have entered the kingdom of heaven already but it is an advance on where they started don't you think certainly enough to suggest that jesus repeated warnings of judgment have drawn them in rather than pushed them away and i wonder if that might be a step that you need to take today to advance towards jesus what a great time of you to do that. Wanting to hear more, even when he talks of judgment, for he does have authority. But all of us need not to be tricked into thinking that when it comes to following Jesus, there are shades of grey. He says black and white. Two roads, not three. Take the easy road to your destruction or the difficult and lonely path of discipleship and obedience to him that leads to life. No third road. There are two builders, not three. You either put Jesus' words into practice and your life withstands trial, particularly the final judgment, or you don't. There's no third building. In our world where it's so common to say it's not a black and white world, Jesus radically says being one of his followers is black and white. Now the challenge for us is to go full on and live this radical life of discipleship for the sake of Jesus in manly and beyond and for our own eternal destiny 
and as we conclude this challenging time in his magnificent Sermon on the Mount, friends, that is our clear kingdom calling. Let's pray. Well, once again, Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus and we thank you for his words. And they are clear and confronting and challenging once again. Forgive us for thinking that there's just this third path that's easy and yet still leads to life. Uh, help us to adjust our expectations so that we expect as disciples of the Lord Jesus for things to be difficult and lonely at times and then refresh our spirits by reminding us that that is the path that leads to life. And help us whenever we hear Jesus' words right throughout the New Testament to not just hear them, but to put them into practice and so build our lives upon them that we might ever more resemble him and bring him glory. Amen. Friends, we're now going to sing our next hymn. Why don't you join with me in singing and stand up.
Well, as we finish, let me just encourage you, if you are new, we have morning tea after the service. We'd love you to come and join us out across the courtyard. Also, the mobile food pantry, if you'd like to find out more, I will be out at morning tea. I'll have some information out there. And lastly, do come and congratulate Scott on his new appointment. Let me finish with the words of the benediction. To him who is able to keep you from falling and to present us before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. To the only God our Saviour be glory, majesty, power and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages, now and forevermore. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Thank you.